Welcome to the T's and C's. Tisa and Chantel. Also known as the Terms and Conditions. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society Presents the Terms and Conditions podcast, our weekly COVID-19 global pandemic reflection. Each week we are joined by scholars, teachers, activists to talk about how we can think about this moment politically and sociologically. We are really excited to be joined by the brilliant music (laughs) scholar, lecturer, teacher, all-round jungle legend, Julia Toppin. Hello, everyone. I am very (laughs) pleased to be here. Very excited to come back for the second time. I guess one of the things that we wanted to sort of draw on in particular, what we were talking about in our pre-chat, is what it's like teaching and learning right now online how this remote well we're doing a remote podcast now but how is remote teaching and lecturing impacting education right now um I think it's impacting it in it in quite a few significant ways I think we'll go through first of all I'm going to go through actually I'll talk you through my school's response without naming my school so we about two weeks before we actually shut down my school's kind of quite tight with the conservative government so when the head teacher told somebody (laughs) yeah we're closing in two weeks I took that as a given because I know the connections that my school has I I was in an academy chain um so they probably got that direct from source right Mm -hmm. that was when people were in the media they were still having debates about should we shut the schools or not right and so in the back of my mind, for those last two weeks, I was with my kids. I was thinking, well, we're probably going to close. So I need to be think having some of that in mind. I was teaching a lot of SEN kids. SEN is uh, special educational needs. So a child may be on a statement, perhaps for autism, or they might be um, on a statement because they have learning difficulties, significant challenges in terms of literacy, their significant significantly behind it couldn't be just one or two years behind like you know maybe five years behind where they should be and then also obviously in London there's lots of children with EAL which is English as an additional language so English isn't their home language their home language might be Bulgarian Romanian Italian and obviously they cannot access the curriculum in the same way that then a child that was that was born you know with mm. English as their home language so there's all that that comes into play so my school I felt that they did quite well with it we had a big assembly they explained what corona was very clearly I really liked the way that they did it um, and they gave everyone two ex two blank exercise books and they talked about the fact that there was a window where people could come in every day for safeguarding safeguarding is the fact that children are under our care and we have to make sure that they're legally safe and if there are any issues that come out in terms of you know physical protection mental protection or whatever every school has a safeguarding team that deals with those issues because you know children are humans and you know families have issues so so obviously they couldn't just shut that down so there's a, a time window every day where the kids could call in come in or whatever and that will get dealt with and they also dealt with how the kids well, free school meals are going to get fed. So I thought, okay, well done. You know, the kids could come in every other day and pick up enough food for a couple of days. So they seemed to have it in hand. And then we were moving on to Microsoft Teams. And my school already had like booklets 
the booklets were a bit too advanced for some of the kids I was teaching. And obviously I found them a bit dry, but I mean, at least they were there. So I think the transition to online teaching was a little bit easier for the school that I worked in because they had these booklets there and they could just put up, slightly adapt the PowerPoints that went with the booklet. So, you know, they're doing the best that they can. They gave children as much resources as they could. And um, and when it's funny because when the head teacher said to the kids that, you know, might, he might not see some of them until September, they were all hysterically happy <laughs> and quite bored now. So I was saying to them, you're going to get really bored. And they were like, no, we won't, no, we won't. It's going to be sick. I'm sure that their parents are literally tearing their hair out right now. And um, and we saw all I saw all that all the early stuff on social media with parents actually realizing how much teachers do to keep their children occupied during six hours of Listen, teachers are the backbone of this country <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think people really understood what it was like to be a teacher because they're not valued in our in the UK anyway in, in UK mm. society teachers not valued and I guess what the crisis has shown is where these arbitrary lines are drawn prior to the crisis such lines were draw were drawn in the, in the financial sector value was applied to the financial sector value was applied to solicitors lawyers those people but now value is applied to teachers dust collectors the frontline staff now it shows you that everyone plays a role so where the who draws these arbitrary lines who decides who has value now and it's and it's that it's that kind of hypocrisy that I see in people now that really kind of irks me. Because when you were at the bottom, when I was working at those, people used to treat me like shit. But for what reason? Because they I had no value in their eyes. Mm, and now that's they what I'm clap seeing for with you. the team. Yeah, exactly. This is the thing, because now I'm a hero. Who who decides what is value? And as we see things really, what are gonna be the jobs for the kids in the future? Are we gonna say try to be a doctor? Or are you gonna say to someone, be a, be a dustman? There's no shame in that. This is what yeah. this is this is where we've gone wrong. As a kid, point. I was told, I was forced into thinking I need to get a job in the city. No other career was open to me. You're gonna mm-hmm. do this. You're gonna do that. You're gonna do this because there was value to it. You get paid the most, but for what? I was going to say, just on your point, T, just thinking about who is valued and what is valued, something that me and my family have been talking about quite a lot. I think it's because we've got we've got teenagers in our family and there's a lot of young people in our family and our wider networks. Thinking sociologically and about value, the way we value or not value childhood in general like I know there's a there's obviously needs to be a lot of public concern with regards to the elderly and those that are in the most that are most vulnerable to contracting the virus or have it being marginally affected by the impacts of the virus more likely to be but just talking about childhood more holistically I feel really bad for kids right now I really do I really really like I just feel like time and time again the younger generations are just seen as just people that will be all right. They're fine because they're young. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't know. The lack of sort of... It's care. Kind of, just, yeah, care. It's care. Like, I, I've got a friend. Her, her you know, um, her son is is having a breakdown, you know, yeah. and he's not coping. And it's it's about to get quite serious, yeah. you know, um, institutionally serious, which is obviously terrifying for us as black people. Right. You know, that was... You know, yes. terrifying before, but even more terrifying now that they've changed these laws. And who knows if he goes into that system, we, we're going to see him for the rest of the year. You know, and I think that 
there's when we did initially weeks ago call the doctor you know they were saying that you know they're seeing lots of calls from young people who just they've they've not been given a framework to cope with this crisis all they've been given is you know what we're going to go on zoom we're just going to take the classroom to your computer that you probably don't have or you know imagine a, a, your average household how many computers does your average household have all right this we've got i'm saying you know, exactly. you, you're a normal working class family you might have if you're lucky you might have one computer what if you've got three kids you know who's going to be able to do their three hours of zoom lessons and then mm. god forbid what if you have to work on your computer as well how mm. is that going to work so that that's when uh, something that I touched on before we started recording. I think that workbooks would have been a much better option, right? But it's this whole rush to go digital, this whole rush for everything to be surveilled, this whole you know there was a big you know the whole the the whole conversation about kids learning at home has all been about being online, right? And mm. as usual, it's the same because the schools have you know online homework. They have Bedrock Learning, which is a program that helps them develop their literacy. They have all these online things. But a lot of kids cannot access these things because there's a given that everybody's got broadband at home and everybody's got a computer they can use at home. And I know with a lot of families, that is not the case. Yeah, yeah. We know now the government has intervened in terms of Wi-Fi and there are some schemes, I think, locally in different boroughs on um, accessing devices but still like we don't know it, like oh, everyone's got different access to different sorts of devices people the, in, the inequalities are just going to be so stark like just even thinking about those two things that you said Julia like the actual computer screens and then the actual internet what you've seen again is again inequality in kind of in access but also inequality in terms of quality, right? So these kids, quality, how do you know they're yes. going to get the same quality? Exactly. At home? Now, I'm looking at some of their kids' maths homework, right? Or some of their English. And unless someone's got that time to put in, because I haven't done GCSE maths in a long time, so techniques have changed. So I've done one technique from a different curriculum from a long time ago. They're doing a different technique. And so we're at odds. So I'm saying, no, this is the right way to do it. But no, their way is just correct. But... I can't understand how they've been learning. So there's a there's a difference in quality. So people who are parents that are sitting at home in their 50s, 40s, 50s, they're from a different curriculum. They understand things differently. So they approach things differently. Mm. So there's a confrontation, there's a, convers- a different conversation they have with their kids. And it's it's just very difficult. And this shift to online, like like you're saying, Julia, a lot of parents are not ready for that. That no. role for them is not all they're giving so when their kids are on it and they're saying, no, but no, I've checked my homework, I've got no homework, the parents don't have a clue. They don't understand how it is or how it goes straight to the kids' phones. And mm. it shows you where, there, where there's been a gap, where parents have been just relying on schools to raise their kids. 100%. I have very low engagement from the classes that I've logged into. I'd say maybe about <laughs> four or five out of 32 are actually logging into the online system to do their work and they're having to, and so teachers are having to be calling parents and saying you know mm-hmm. we've set work for your child we want them to engage they're having to do all those encouraging phone calls to get the kids to engage more online and most of the people that I've spoken to I think obviously engagement is higher in key stage four but you know, I've always had a bugbear about how Key Stage 3 
always gets abused because key stage four, sorry, which is the GCSE years, years 10 and 11 mm. are the years leading yeah. up to GCSE, right? Key stage four is always a priority. Year 11 are always the ultimate priority. And obviously they wipe that off the table. That's a whole next conversation about oh, uh, they're going to oh. be, uh, we could talk about that if we have time, but there's yeah. that big kettle of fish. So year 11 has been wiped off the table. Year 10, all the emails are all about year 10, year 10, year 10. Right. And they have provided stuff for key stage three. But in in the back of, you know, they might not be honest about it, but that's what I see. And I've worked in so many schools. Key stage three is always something that does get delivered, but it doesn't get delivered as well as the GCSE stuff. Because and, and that's why they're always doing all that catch up intervention here, intervention there intervention everywhere and I hate intervention at GCSE which makes me very unpopular with line managers but I always used to say that intervention (laughs) begins in the classroom if you teach them effectively if we treated key stage three very seriously and taught them effectively then we wouldn't have to do all this intervention in key stage four because they would have the foundation they need to go into their GCSE years so what we're seeing now again is a re-entrenchment of that divide where the year 10 is seen as the priority to make sure that when they're in year 11 next year, Corona has not impacted upon them. Yeah. And and the key stage three, years seven, eight and nine, those three years, they're getting work. But it's not being treated with the same amount of care. It's not being treated with the same amount of care, I would argue. And also that they would need, they need face to face. It's just not the same. You know, it's not the same. I couldn't get to all the kids in my classroom when I was physically in front of them because there was too many and they all had different needs, right? To try and do that over Zoom, you know, I would just... And I hate Zoom anyway because it's not safe. I don't know why everyone's using it. It's there, There's no. so many articles about how unsafe it is that I just refuse mm-hmm. to use it. What you're noticing is a shift, if you're thinking theoretically, in the, in the division of labour, right? So... Like we've seen work, so the home now is the centre of action. So with schooling, but also with work. Prior to how it should have been, should have been the home should be more in contact with the school. Now it's all on the home to get things right. Mm-hmm. It's ill prepared for these shifts. Now parents sometimes don't have the patience. And now, given that work, if they're all working, given that work, they're working in kind of office conditions. Their office will be in a home too in a few weeks. So you've got school and home in the same place now given that most kids are just kids they won't pay attention because that's what the nature of being a kid is they're not some of them are surveyed but like if you're like anything like me when i was growing up if i could take liberties i will they're all taking so while my parents are distracted yeah i will take a liberty instead of going online i'll be online speaking to my friend at the same time doing my work because that is the nature of being online they multitask right so if work and a kind of theoretical level if the home now is the hub of all action. How do we divide that time up to make sure the kids are doing what they need to to pass? So in our house, I kind of kind of we've got a schedule. So the kids have been back at school since like since it started. So they start at ten o'clock in the morning, and there's a timetable. But it's a timetable that I have to enforce mm, on a regular yeah. basis, consistently. Yeah. And it takes time. And I didn't you don't realize how much time it takes. I've also got my own stuff, but you have to prioritize. This is what how it's going to have to be. If if home is the hub now, how do we manage manage our time effectively to, see, to do the things that we want to do? So in this case, how do we manage our time effectively in home to make sure the kids are interacting with the schools and doing the work to the quality that is required? 
I've made the kids do their work several times. It wasn't to what I, my motto is, if I, if I don't like it, you can't hand it in. Because Team! it has to look a certain <laughs> way. Standard. 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 No, but it's true. It, it, it's, it's those basic principles. Julie, what you're saying. So I'm, I have the mind that the kids, if they don't understand something at the beginning, how are you going to understand it at the end? And I'm just talking from my own experience. So when I was at school, I paid no attention to uh, uh, fractions and, and decimals and algebra. So by the time I got to uh, GCSE level, it was like another language because I didn't understand the fundamentals. And I'm trying to keep the same thing. So when you're showing me the, your homework, I don't care about the answer. I care about the process. It's the process that I need to understand. But I feel like those processes, T, and what and just thinking about mm. what Julia's saying, like as a teacher and thinking about kids with different needs, like for me, like I just can't, like I can't even deep how much of a disaster this would have been for me if I was a child right now. Whether it's being in an abusive household, not being very and very good academically at school, like it would just been an absolute mm-hmm. disaster. And we know that there are so many families in that situation right now, Absolutely. and it's the shit. So in terms of thinking about how I'm just getting work done as a child, like I just needed different sorts of interventions and different learning techniques and being watching recorded lectures. So if you're an undergraduate right now or watching recorded teaching at secondary school, like it just wouldn't have helped me. And I know there's so many students that are like that, that it's just so hard. We know that disproportionately it's going to affect the working class and ethnic minorities, this is going to kill people going forward. That's a fact, right? That's a fact. It's a fact. People are going to come off yeah. the worst. So what do we have to do to limit this, right? Because what I know that some kids are not going to get the GCSEs or degrees or even myself, my PhD has been affected. How, I, how I'm self-motivated, how I feel, it's all, been, it's all been affected by this. So how do we mitigate this? So for me... I think I, I've always gone into a school and seen kids in need and just gone into what I call my boot camp, my plan, right? So I've got books that I've bought over time, worksheets that I've bought over time. Kids love worksheets, right? Mm-hmm. Good worksheets that I've got over time. I think that um, children need to be concentrating. First of all, we have to admit they're not going to do X amount of hours a day. I'm not doing X amount of hours a day and I'm a grown woman. I am distracted. I'm checking the daily body count. I'm reading the stories. I'm reading all the medical medical journal articles. I could probably write my own medical journal article or because I know so much because I'm just reading everything. So we're all distracted. They're going to be distracted too. So they need, you know, maybe an hour, 90 minutes. You should start slowly and build them up. But we should be concentrating on skills. Okay, if children that, you know, aren't coming from these fancy private schools or whatever, they should just be getting their core skills and practicing them. Because if you've got the skills, then by the time you get to GCSE, you're just going to put the content on top of that. So it's building vocabulary, which goes back to reading. 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 Uh, reading. reading. <laughs> reading. Yeah, I can't keep building vocabulary, which goes back to reading, spellings, grammar, getting your good writing down language analysis structural analysis for me again people think that the stuff that I do I know that you know other departments don't like it but you know when I've finished with a class they know how to write an essay right they know how to look for techniques they know how to explain how and why what the writer is doing I agree completely so I think for me I think you summed it up better than than, than what I would have the skills right so I I focus on 
with the kids is the how you do it and why you do it. You need to explain to me. So when we're going through stuff, I'm understand if they understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how they do it. Because it's the process. Sometimes you can get the answer wrong, but I need to understand your thought process. Mm. So in that, I make them do a lot of reading to make sure their reading's clear, their writing's clear. In the maths, like I said, I, I said, I need help in the maths, so you need to show me how you did it. So I can understand your steps. Mm. So it's just about being clear. But also, what I've also done is trying to make them, especially with the older ones. So I'll say, look, read what I'm reading. So the two oldest elders are reading The Prince. We're going to read The Prince by Machiavelli. So they're reading that, and we're going to have a discussion about The Prince. Because it's, and then what I try to do is con- it's contextualise. People use these terms all the time, and they use them incorrectly. Now, what I do is no different than what you do, but it's just at a different level. So now we all talk, right? So, so we've got one at university, two at, two at secondary. So at, at different levels, but essentially doing the same thing. Because I said, it's about being clear. It's about being understood. So if you can't communicate in your language or in your in your numeracy or talking to me, we have a problem. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I don't think I'm don't think I'm strict, but I think it's the skills that I wish someone said to me when I was younger because I I was not wayward. I had the ability, but I was lazy. And and sometimes this is what happens, they get lazy. So I yeah. say to them, when you wake when you wake up with me, you have to motivate yourself. So I don't want to do it. But I have to, because there's no one else behind you. If I don't do it, we will starve. So I said, you have to do it. So this is what this, this is the kind, of, the kind of mindset I'm trying to get people into. We all have to be motivated. We all have to carry each other. Yeah, I think the, I think the most effective thing, a person with children in maybe, you know, disadvantaged background, whatever you want to call it, is to actually pick a book that is suitable to their child's reading ability and I can tell you how to do that all you do is you you show the child a book and there should be a couple of words on each page that they don't know they shouldn't just be able to read the book fluently because then it's not it's not challenging them and expanding their vocabulary they should be able to take a page and go okay I don't know this word this word and this word so that way you know they got the dictionary or they got google they can look up the words and learn them as they go along and then you know once they get into their reading there was a really oh god i forgot i'll have to send you a link there was a really good reading app for younger kids that's free at the moment oh let us know yeah uh, i'll send it we'll, to my we'll cousin I'll, yeah i'll send it to you and you can you can add links yeah. and pass it on Brilliant. so yeah there's a lot you know i mean but again you know i feel like i don't want to rely on the internet but then we're trapped in that space aren't we but I mean yeah you know it's there's loads of free stuff on the internet there's loads you go to the Gutenberg project there's loads of free books Mm -hmm. um all the 19th century books and all the classics will all be there they can read on the screen I like audio books and I know a lot of audio books are free on YouTube as well I think that I think that parents should not be afraid of contacting their school and saying my child cannot access this online. Can you send me some kind of workbook, please? You yeah. know, the schools have got more than enough. You know, they must have saved tons of their paper budget by now. So I'm sure it's not <laughs> going to kill them to print off a couple booklet and put them in the post. And I'm sure there's no way the government hasn't given them money to sort this stuff out. Right. So yeah. 
given the nature of how they've responded, even the supermarkets and stuff like that, they're getting, they're definitely getting money. So as a parent, if you have not got access to the internet or you're struggling, you need to call your school and say, look, Jimmy needs a workbook for English and a workbook for maths, right? Please yeah. just send them through. And I, I, I would, I seriously doubt any school would deny that request. But when I've been walking the dog, I've heard some parents say, um, this is too hard for the kids. This is way too hard for my kid. And I'm like, no, baby, it's, I think what you're trying to say is it's too hard for you. A lot of parents seem to be quite embarrassed. They don't know what the kid knows, right? The kid, the kid knows more than them, which is fine. Because I said to the kids, like, like if you're doing physics, don't, it's a myth. Go online. So go online. Or by anything. Like, the parents, so, um, <laughs> they're so upset because the kid knows more than them. And it is that this guy, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get into an argument with the geezer, but I said to the geezer, I said, well, like, it's maybe I said, maybe you're finding it difficult and he goes maybe I said yeah it's not a problem I said I find shit difficult but I said I don't embarrass me because I don't know everything that's right we everything. can't and I, I think, think and I think I, I think as parents that's a hubris right parents yeah. don't want to admit that their, their, their kid knows more than them definitely yeah I think it is embarrassing for them and I think when I did my teacher training um I did it in Cornwall, funnily enough, it was great. But what they made us do, they made us do a whole, it wasn't a BTEC, it was Creative Media Diploma, but they made us do a whole unit as a student, right? And it was terrible. It was so much work. And yeah. I tell you what, after that, when I, and the whole point of that exercise was to teach us that, yeah, you can stand in front of them and go, yeah, write this essay and go research this, whatever. But it is actually a lot of work. And you have to bear that in mind sometimes when you're giving children, when you're pacing out the, the work that you're giving children. And I think that a lot of parents definitely um, will have issues in terms of the knowledge that's that's being yeah. gathered at this level. But yeah, like you said, they just need to just own it. You know, I can't help you with it. Yeah. Do the best that you can. Send it back to your teacher and and see what comes next i think i think that is a really good way good place to end guys and also just to reiterate and we say this on the podcast like a lot young people they need protection they need to be valued but also we learn so much from them as well like so much of like some of our best ideas like come <laughs> from those that are younger as well as obviously people that have got um experience and that older but Let's try and, yeah, nurture them as much as possible and nurture each other in our households as well. But, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Julia. There's some amazing tips in there that we're going to share via our socials. Thank you. Oh, I'm happy to help. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming on again. Cheers. We'll see you next week, guys. Thank you. See you next week. See you. Bye-bye. Bye.